What's up, Daw Nation? My name is Wyatt Troy, and I want to welcome you to this episode of Behind the Daw. What is Behind the Daw? It is a podcast where we interview music producers, artists, music industry experts, people of that nature on an emotional, philosophical, artistic, and music business basis. This is a companion podcast to our YouTube series, In the Daw, where we invite music producers to come and dissect their songs in real time. Recently, we've had people like Tynan, Slumberjack, Culprit, Julian Gray, Fabian Mazur. So if you're interested in seeing people like that in the electronic music field, break down their songs, go ahead, check out the link in the description that says in the DAW playlist. It'll take you to all the episodes. Also, if you just want to listen to those episodes, those are the 0.5 episodes in the podcast. So the one right before this, which was episode 39.5, that one's going to be with Elliot Berger. So go ahead and check that out. Also, there's a couple things I want to talk about before we get into this episode. Uh, There are links down in the description for the Patreon. If you want to make sure that we can keep bringing you these episodes for free forever, please support us on Patreon for a dollar a month. There's other options, of course, but for a dollar a month, you get access to a private Discord community. And in that private Discord community, we stream all of the In The Daw and Behind The Daw episodes so that you can actually ask questions and meet the artists in real time. So if you can find it in your heart to support us on there, you will be extremely rewarded. The second thing I want to talk about is suggestions. If you have suggestions for people to come on the show, please, there's a link down in the description. We'd love to fulfill that. So go ahead and click on that. The third link in the description is for private lessons. If you want private lessons in electronic music production or in social media marketing, go ahead and click that. That has been a favorite amongst the fans. And plus, after you do that, then we make a cool little picture. We put you on our Instagram in the style of the cover art that we do with all the artists that come on the show. So go ahead and check that out. The fourth link down there is for a free consultation. If you want to enter to win a 20-minute free social media marketing consultation boom, there's a link in the description. And then finally, there is a lot of books that we're going to be talking about in this episode. And so if you are interested in any of them, make sure to click the link in the description for the appropriate book. All right, that was a lot to get out of the way. But who are we going to interview today? Who's the lucky guy? Today is Henry Fong. Who is Henry Fong? I'm sure a bunch of you know who he is. But for those who don't know who he is, he's a DJ, a producer. He's released on Spinning, Revealed, Ausla, Mad Decent, Dim Mac, and so many others. Today, we're going to be talking about a lot of things, but here's some of the main things that I walked away with. We're going to be talking about how having responsibilities outside of music can actually help you make more music and make better music. What? That doesn't make sense. Don't worry. We're going to get into it. We're also going to talk about strategically sending your demos to bigger artists that you want to collaborate with. He's going to talk about how he collaborated with Hardwell when he was nowhere near Hardwell size. So stay tuned for that. And finally, we're going to talk about can your music be so good that it will just speak for itself and you don't have to do any marketing behind it. Can it? We're going to talk about it. And then finally, if you like this episode, please like, comment, subscribe, repost, follow, whatever is appropriate on the particular platform that you're listening on, like SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Deezer, YouTube. It just helps us know that what we're doing is moving in the direction that you need us to donation. And one last thing, after you listen to this episode, I'd highly encourage you to check out the episode right after this. It is a bonus episode that I did with Henry Fong where we dissect his social media. I give him a social media marketing consultation. So if you're interested in that, learning more about the marketing side of the music business, go ahead, check that out. But with all that said and all that out of the way, I want to introduce you to Henry Fong. Come here, 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 come here,
I want to welcome you to this week of Behind the Daw. Henry, say what's up to Daw Nation and uh, tell us something really embarrassing about yourself. What's up, Daw Nation? Well, while everyone was in high school being cool and playing cool sports and things, I was a competitive laser tag player. And I was like, good? me and my team, we were national champions. You were national champions? How does one become a national champion of laser tag? Bro, I don't know, man, but we traveled around. Um, once I got old enough to travel, I started playing when I was like 13, I think, 12 maybe. So by the time I was like 18, I was just wrecking people, dude. And uh, we would travel, me and uh, we had this team and we would just travel around every year for the national championships. And they had regional tournaments too. And we were just traveling around. And my team, while my team was together, we were basically one of the top teams ever in the history of the sport. <laughs> yeah, we were undefeated in uh, a couple tournaments and we just, we were really good, man. It was fun. But that's, it was kind of embarrassing telling people that, especially when I was younger, but uh, still kind of embarrassing. <laughs> Are you still pretty good at it? I, uh, I think it would take me a little bit to get back into it, bro. But to be honest, the system, uh, the laser tag systems changed so much. So I think the, the system I used to play on is uh, really outdated now, but it's uh, just a hardcore group of probably about a hundred to 150 guys that really keep up to date with it. it it's like, it's like, the same concept as like producers producing on analog gear. They're just so the style of the old stuff better that it's like the kind of the same thing. People, the, the guys that like this system, they only want to play on that system. I mean, nowadays it's like, like nerds are cool, dude. So it doesn't really matter. But my whole life, that's been something I don't really tell a lot of people because it's been pretty embarrassing because girls will be like, oh, laser tag player. Cool. Does your son know that you were a national laser tag player? I don't think he knows what laser tag is yet. But. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, we gotta we gotta show him that one day though, dude. We're, it's an honor to have you here. Um, and we're gonna get into some really deep, really profound questions. But first, is it true that the only part of the mirror that you can lick is your tongue? No. No, you can lick other parts. I think you're just licking the. Oh, I was just thinking of more like just plain, just like yo, you're just licking the glass. Oh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I see what you're saying. If you're looking at a reflection, yeah, then you're just looking at yeah. But I was looking at yeah. it like way like dumber. <laughs> like you're just <laughs> the mirror. Is it way dumber or way smarter? I don't know. I'll let you decide. I think it's smarter. All right, man. Do you feel like you're in a deeper mindset now? I feel like I'm in a weird mindset now. <laughs> That's good. That's where I want you to be. <laughs> All right, good. All right, cool, man. Well, we're really happy to have you on. We got some deep questions that we're going to get into now. Very first off, first question that I love to ask people is, you know, if I could make this interview absolutely worth it, man, I love that interview. This is great. What would be a question that you would want me to ask you to be like, man, I love that question. I mean, I think the point of these is really to share knowledge with and inspire upcoming producers. And I just think there's a couple questions of just like how like stuff actually happens. There's just like real stuff. There's just like the way things work. Uh, obviously, it doesn't work the same for everyone, but it's just like not a shortcut, but there's just like special insight, so to say. Yeah, it's just like how are actually how is the music business now actually now, and what do you actually what is required of people to be an artist now? God. And everyone has their own perception of that, unless you like work in the business and understand it. I think, and I feel like the answer that pe kids want to the, the, the answer that kids think they need to do is different from how it actually is. And there's a, a disconnect, I think. What actually happens behind the scenes? I mean, what do people I mean, actually I, need to do? I, I just think at the end of the day, um, you're trying to be an artist and the way that things have changed. I mean, this is kind of like going down like a path away from production, which I'm a producer more so than I consider myself like a personality or an artist or anything. I mean, an artist, I'm using the term artist as like the full package of being an act. And I think now things have, have changed so much because of social media that 
I think when I when I started producing, it was I would say eighty percent music, twenty percent brand marketing, everything. And now now it's more like fifty fifty, maybe even sixty forty, sixty percent brand whatever, and then forty percent the music or whatever's the hot sound at the time. And I just think that's the the harsh reality that I think a lot of people in the industry know now, and I don't think um, a lot of people on the outside know that. What you wish to convey to to the producers that are coming up is that the music and and, and the artistry, the producing part of you, can't just stand on its own anymore. And yeah, so you can't just sit there and make really really good music and just literally have no presence anywhere, no marketing, no branding. Like you have to at least be equal on those things. I think, but you know, at the end of the day, if the music is really really good and you put a lot of time into it, I think that leads. But in order to really execute the full full deal, I think it needs to be. Like you need to go pretty hard on the marketing side nowadays and you need to be good at social media and you need to have a cool brain and you need to have a cool name and a cool logo and all this stuff. And it's just like, that is cut and dry the, the simplest way that, that I can put it. I completely agree. And so as, as a day job, I am a social media marketer. I completely agree with what you're saying because I understand the power. How many, how many, how many SoundClouds and how many demos and kids have you came across that have 3000 followers on SoundCloud and make amazing music? Exactly. Dude, all every day. All the time, right? It's like, well, why aren't, what, why isn't that not translating? And these kids are getting frustrated while well, I'm making good music. Why is this not happening? I'm making good music. And then boom, they, they, they give it a shot for a couple of years and they, they don't stick it through. But at the end of the day, it's turned into kind of like a, a machine of being an act and, and, and like marketing's played a big role in that. I definitely agree with the reality of what you're talking about right now. My question to you is, why do you think it's like that? Why is that even a thing? Why is this even a conversation? Because uh, just the rise of social media and then um, the way algorithms happened. And um, this has the same thing to do with any news site. Why are, why is, why are all these news sites like Fox and CNN and posting all this stuff and clickbait headlines and all this stuff. It's just like, well, everyone, everything's got to cut through the noise, man. It's got to cut through the algorithms. It's got to cut through the noise and stuff is more extreme. The headlines, it's like, you know, crazy stuff all the time. And that's the only stuff that cuts through the algorithms and all of the oversaturation of social media. And it's the same with DJ. It's like, who's cutting through all that noise? It's like, well, you got to be doing something really, really crazy, or you got to be doing something really, really cool. Or, you know what I'm saying? It has to be pretty much on a scale of one to 10. It's got to be 10 out of 10 level stuff every time. And, and unfortunately, that's just, I think that has to do with the way that social media reach works with the algorithms now. And back in the day, I mean, I remember even just two, three years ago, my, my reach on Facebook was insane. I, I was, you know, I was posting a photo getting like 4,000 likes. Now it's like post a photo. It's like nothing. Even even you go look at the most relevant DJs right now. You go look at the top DJs. You go look at them. Post a photo. They post a photo and they get like fifteen hundred likes. Whereas back in the day, they'd probably post a photo and it would get twenty thousand. If you're not going viral and you're not like really like have something that really discussed with that's a topic of a conversation, then if you're just some your name's Joe Smith and you're making really really good music, it's just not enough. I, I don't want to say that with a negative attitude, but this is the reality I think for what it takes to be an artist in today's climate that a lot, not a lot of people are going to sit down and tell you that or talk about because it's, you know, it's a little bit on the negative side, but at the end of the day, you know, there's still really, really good music out there. And the music has, um, I think evolved in a really, really good way right now. So on the positive side, I think we do have a lot of good music right now. There's a lot of really cool subgenres, a lot of artists still pushing the boundary with things. I think dance music is still only growing on in, in that perspective. I was talking to a client the other night about this uh, and he's in, he asked me, he's like, Hey man, like 
like I know people in the industry, like I know huge people in the industry. They're some of my best friends. I know I'm making good music and I agreed with him. I think he's making fantastic music. And we basically having this conversation that you and I are having right now is like, why aren't I growing? Why haven't I cut through yet? Shouldn't my music speak for itself? And I told him, I was like, if this was the seventies, your music would speak if for itself. If that was 2013, it would speak for itself. Yeah, exactly. Even 2014, a lot has changed in the last four years. And you've literally seen some of your favorite DJs producers in the day. You're like, where does this guy go? The reason why is because, you know, we have this amazing gift. We have this thing, which is the internet marketing to help us basically connect with anyone on the planet at any given time. It's that we have to, but in order to do that, because they're getting pinged all the time, they're getting DMs all the time, they're getting messages all the time, there's things on their feed all the time. You have to find a way to cut through that. And so is what you're saying right now, the way that you cut through that is that you don't only have to have good music, of course, but you have to have that branding behind you or else it's, you can't, you're not yeah. equipped I mean, to cut through. Uh, and then, I mean, some guys, some guys are able to forgo that whole thing if, if they just get like a viral hit song that just somehow through a weird series of events goes really big like a big hit song, like, you know, something like how like Martin Derrick's animals happened, you know what I mean? But again, that, that, that wasn't, that was during a, a different time, but I'm just saying the way that song went viral, it's like, that still happens now, I think. And that's another way to do it, but you can't even, there's not even a formula for how to make a song go viral like that. It's yeah. so true, man. There's a, there's a book. Anyways, I listened to it on, uh, on audible one time and it's the, the entire book is about what we're talking about is like the phenomenon of things going viral. And oh yeah, yeah. The, I, I have that book. I have it. Okay, perfect. So, but is, I haven't. Is it, I haven't. Um, I've only like skipped through it. I haven't really read it. I'd highly encourage you to, to read it. It's, it's really, really it's good. Called the tipping and, point. Oh yeah, the tipping point. The tipping point. Yeah, by by Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah, by Malcolm Gladwell. So in it, it was crazy because what I was, they can kind of point towards like what what causes things to go viral, but they mostly can't it's mostly like so yeah the basics of that i think is is they they pinpoint three different types of people there's um salesmen mavens and connectors okay so there's three types of people mavens are people that are really really smart at what they do and good at what they do and don't mind passing on the knowledge like everyone has like a friend that's a little nerdier that's like on the computer and is like doesn't mind showing his friends how to code or doesn't mind talking about whatever and we'll sit there for four hours and teach someone just for no reason. You know what I'm saying? I had a friend like that too, that, that was showing me how to make music and he didn't, he didn't care. He was just wanted to share his knowledge with me and he was an expert. And then there's connectors. Connectors are just really social people, people that just know everyone. And then just like, you know, that guy that walks into the club and just knows everyone. Oh yeah. I can link you with my friend. Oh yeah. Like the, just a popular guy that knows everyone kind of. And then there's, what's the other one they said? Oh, salesman. Just exactly self-explanatory. And when you put those three people together in an environment, that's, it takes those three types of people working together to create that catalyst for things to go viral, I think. And that's kind of the basics of the book. Kind of along the same process, I mean, for, for the producers that are, that are listening to this and they're coming up, the musicians that are listening to this, you know, what, what kind of branding tips would you give to them to, to help them get that 50% of the branding and marketing that's really important? I just think at the end of the day, it's just high quality content. You know, you got to have good, good, good graphic designer, good photos and a good video editor. And I think that's a good place to start. And, you know, it's not over the top expensive, you know, you can get a really, really top quality photographer to go do a shoot with you for $200, 250. Uh, you can get some video edits made for around the same budget from, you know, talented people too, that are just trying to work hard too. And I think that's a good place to start for, with your content. So in that, in that kind of situation where, you know, you, you need that, that, 
the the content to be able to put out on the socials for you to stand out and stuff like that. Would you then suggest people to save up money to do that? Or would you suggest them to learn that talent themselves and then do it? Or should they just focus on music? And then I mean, either way, I mean, but yeah, again, at the same time, any, any time away from, you know, producing music and doing other things like video editing can be very tedious. It's like, in my opinion, I'd just rather pay someone to video edit for, for me than to learn video editing. But that's just me. If you can do it, great, but I, I wouldn't go out of your way to learn that or anything, but it definitely helps if you have an ex- a background, I think, in that. With the podcast and with the YouTube series and stuff, I did learn video editing. Looking back, would I have done that again? Uh, to me, I, yes, but but let me let me just say that I, I'm not someone that you should follow in this instance just because I just, I would, I would learn it again. I would do it again just because I truly enjoyed it. I truly enjoyed learning how to do video editing, learning how to do Photoshop and stuff like that, you know, like that, that kind of stuff. So like, I really enjoyed it. But if someone, you know, is a music producer and they don't enjoy it, I, to me, that's just, you're, you're just wasting time. You should just, you know, save some money, hire it out, you know, contract out, do whatever you want. Do you agree yeah. with that? It, it, you're right. It is hard though in the beginning because, you know, take an upcoming producer that's in a, you know, just like living at home or something with their parents. And it's just like, you don't really have much money at, at first to put back into your business. So it's hard to create really, really good content. But I mean, nowadays with photo editing and filters, and there's also been a little bit of a shift towards good thought out content, but just filmed on your iPhone, like raw iPhone videos are doing like really good right now on like Instagram and stuff. Like if you friend, if you film your friend, like tripping down the stairs on your iPhone and you like post it, it's going to like crush, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, there's definitely that shift too and things. So you don't have to be like, you know, totally over. Yeah. I would just say generally just make sure the content that you put out is really good and your artwork looks good and your logo looks good and everything like that. And it's just like, what are people going to see? Well, they're going to type your name. They're probably going to go to your Instagram or your Facebook or whatever first or your SoundCloud even, or even Spotify, Spotify, there's places to put all those press photos and stuff. There's biography. Like you need to make that look cool. I think too. And uh, they're just going to click and it's like, what are they gathering from just looking at your page? If like, they go to your Instagram, they should be able to look at your brand and just pick, okay, this guy is this, you know what I'm saying? And get like a general vibe from you. And I think that's really important. Like there's just people, I think that, that do a really, really good job of that. Two friends to me, two friends. I love looking at their stuff, dude. It's just so good. Oh yeah. They make, they make cool mixes. I just know about their mixes. Oh yeah, you should check out their Instagram, dude. It's hilarious, man. They're to- like everything about it is just so high quality, but it's so funny and it just fits their brand. You know what I mean? I'm looking. Oh yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, see, I'm just looking at. I'm just like these dudes are like to party and they like to have fun and they're two friends. They play crazy shows and they're like a duo. They're like best friends. Daw Nation, if you want to listen to the <laughs> behind the Daw that we did with two friends, there I will include a link down in the description. Also, um, we were talking about. The book, uh, what was it? The, the Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. If you guys want to check that out, I'll include a link in the description. And there's one more book that I want to talk about along the lines that we're talking about right now. How you were talking about, you know, if people come to your to your website or to your to your Instagram or whatever, and they're kind of like they kind of have to they have to think they have to figure out what you're about, what you do. You know, basically you're you're, you're putting roadblocks in between them. Basically, someone should be able to come to your social media, yeah, to your make website, it, make it easy, and have your own look too. Like you know, you don't want to like have just a page that looks like everyone else's page. I think too, like you want to kind of have your own. It's like your your, your music sounds like your own style, and it's kind of like I think you're like someone like who has a, a really good brand right now in dance music, someone like Rez. It's like, you know, Rez has her stuff that she does with her brand. So you're, it, 
that nobody else can really replicate. And I think that's really exactly, cool. exactly. And even, you know, if we were to look at your Instagram right now, if I was to look at your Instagram, I know what you are. Like you're a DJ, yeah. you're a producer. You know what I mean? I don't look at your thing and I'm like, well, is he a divorce lawyer? Like what, what is he? You know, it's like, it's so easy that you're not like, no one has to burn brain calories. That's what, that's what I'm getting at is no one has to burn brain calories when they come to your website. And that was, uh, it's another book that I would highly encourage everyone. It's de- I'll, I'll link it down in the description. It's called the story brand framework. And it's, it, it focuses on that, like creating a story around your brand. But with that, you're supposed to make it so easy for people to know what you are. Of course, you can throw like twists and, what, and plot what's that twists. called? That sounds cool. The story brand framework. Story brand framework. Cool. Yeah, I'm man. And it, it like just expands on the concept of like how humans are terrible at just soaking in information, but they're amazing at soaking in stories. But especially, especially in a climate of just super oversaturation and algorithms and all this nonsense, it's like you really, really just got to make it, I think, easy. Let me ask you this. What if we uh, we rewound the clock? You know, we're starting at the beginning days of Henry Fong when he, you know, when you're starting to get into music production and, th- and things of that nature. You know, what would, let's say you didn't have a lot of money. You know, we're kind of on this subject. We're like, all right, what if the producer doesn't have a lot of money? What would, walk me through, like, what would be your kind of strategy to, to start breaking into the music industry and start just climbing that ladder? Well, I'll tell you what I did. I was just in college, man, and my friend had some, uh, he was a DJ and he had some turntables and a mixer and I just learned from him. And then I borrowed his mixer and then I practiced on Serato and um, turntables, I had actual vinyl turntables, and I would borrow his stuff. I learned how to play and then I already knew a bunch of people from college. So I was getting... I started getting these after I knew how to like the basics of DJing um, in my fraternity. My fraternity, I was like involved with like uh, on my college campus. I was involved with Greek life and some like sports clubs and stuff like that. And I just knew a bunch of people. And then I just started getting thrown on gigs like, oh, he can DJ. Just have him play this stuff. And then I just learned how to just play bars, college bars, frat fraternity events, you name it. It was all just because, you know, I just borrowed my friend's stuff and learned how he taught me. It's pretty, pretty easy. So you started to learn how to do stuff there. And then, so what what, what happened after that? Did you start producing So, so the, how I got money to survive for that stuff. Like I was in college, like that's the point. Like you get cut off from your parents or whatever. So it's like I got enough DJ gigs to start paying for things because, but it was strictly, it wasn't based on my DJ skill. It was because like back when we were talking about earlier, I was, I was kind of like a connector. You know, just the kind of people that kind of know a little bit of everyone around and stuff. And I was able to get gigs because I could pull pull people out to the parties at the local college scene, I think. So that, it really paid off to be social. Then that was, that helped me get the gigs. So I was getting gigs and four nights a week. So I, I didn't even, I, I had only been DJing for six months and I was, you know, just got thrown into this really quick. And here I am playing these college bars and clubs for four nights a week or something. And Four nights a week, even at the base level DJ fee, that's more than enough to just live. So at this point, when you were learning how to DJ and you were getting these gigs and all that kind of stuff, were you learning to produce in the background? Was that kind of what was going yeah, on? Yeah, yeah. So so that's how it worked. After I got into it a little bit, I was like, people were like, well, if you want to keep doing this, you should make your own music. I was like, okay. So then I learned how to make music while I had the liberty of this like open schedule. Like DJs, you go in, even on a you know, if you're a, like a, a just a, a normal top 40 club DJ, I would go in at 10 o'clock at night and I'd leave at two. So I DJ for four hours and that's it. So yeah, I got to drive there with my turntables and speakers and stuff, set all this stuff up. But at the end of the day, I was only working for four hours, four times a week. So I had so much time to learn how to make music. 
And it just all happened to work itself out to where I was like, had the freedom to sit down and, and, and put, you know, eight hours of music in every day before I would even go DJ at night. Well, you were learning how to produce music and everything. So when you got to a point when you feel like you were comfortable with releasing the music, I mean, what was your strategy then? Were you, were you reaching out to labels? What was Yeah, so I was, like, I, I was just like really in tune what was going on with like the internet and how blogs worked at that time because I had, I had, I had helped my buddy write for his blog before. So I understand the game with blogs and how to email people and stuff. I just had a, like, I, I think I finished some like electro, like Mike Snow remix in like 2012 or 2000, 2011, dude, 2012, 2012, maybe I just emailed it to a couple of blogs and it just started charting on hype machine back in the days where like hype machine was like, you know, with the blogs and stuff. And I just kind of played the blog game a little bit and just had some remixes on SoundCloud. And I think maybe the first couple of things I did, they got like 10,000 plays, but 10,000 plays was pretty good for a no name person. You know what I'm saying? That was just like uploading random remixes to SoundCloud. So as you're, you're uploading these remixes, you're doing these things, you're kind of leveraging, you know, what's going on with uh, kind of like internet marketing and stuff like that. So did you just keep doing that? I mean, yeah, like, what, I just, I, I kept steps? putting out these like remixes and stuff. And then eventually um, me and my buddy finished a song and we emailed it to Hardwell's label revealed in 2012, maybe still later 2000, 2013, beginning of 2013 and Hardwell's label wrote back and they ended up signing it. And then once the doors are open with that, that that song came out it wasn't like a big song or anything but it just opened doors and then i just kept making music and just did like a steady stream of originals on different labels and that was that but it just took that first release though to get um look we, we blind blind send in a demo and like back at like if you sign if you blind send in a demo right now to an a&r like good luck yeah exactly guys get so many emails even back then they were getting so many emails it was just pure, I don't know, I don't know if you call it luck or whatever you want, but we sent a demo and they wrote back and they're like, hey, we like it. And they signed it. And me and my buddy were just like, dude, what the heck? If someone was to send something to an AR guy now, you're right. It's just like there's so much going on right now. So you carry on it. Let's let's put you kind of in the hierarchy of producers right now. Let's say there was someone on on the lower end of the hierarchy that wanted to that wanted to reach out to you, that wanted to to get in contact with you and whatever. What is something that that person could do that you'd be like, you know what? Like you, you've cut through the noise. You, you've proved yourself. Like what, let's, let's talk. You know what I mean? Whether I had a kid DM me a remix of one of my songs on Instagram the other day. And he's like, Hey, I remixed your song battery. Uh, check it. And I just, I don't know, man, I just hit play. And I was like, dude, this is sick. And I found this like kid that had a sick remix. And now, you know, he sent it to me and I'm going to start playing it in my sets. And I it's just, Something as little that, I mean, I think the way I did it was a little strategic. I would just put myself in a position at these events because after I knew all the promoters and stuff and I was, became like a promoter, I was a promoter too in, in my town and I would just, I would just go to shows and just meet, meet the artists themselves. So I, I was opening for a lot of the acts and then that's how I met a lot of the DJs. And then I would, you know, you open for them once and then they come to the city again, you open them twice, they recognize you, you say what's up and they'd be like, yo, here's my USB, I got some demos or hey, what's your email? And then I would just get emails. I think one of, one of the first ones I remember getting like that was like Showtech. I remember like hanging out with meeting Showtech at a show. I was like, hey, what's your email? And they gave me their email. And then when I, I finished something I thought they would like, I just sent it to them and they would start playing it. And the, the game is different now, man. You know, I honestly... I, in, in this climate, I honestly couldn't even tell you what it works anymore. Like that, 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 that definitely could work still. Just, you know, I would go to shows, meet the artists, put yourself in a position where you just 
meet them face to face. I mean, trying to, trying to, trying to DM people and trying to bomb their promo email and stuff. It doesn't always, I, I just feel like the odds are very, very unlikely now. And the best thing you can do is just figure out a way to get in real life. You know, you just, dude, you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to just finagle it. Like sometimes it's like, how am I going to get backstage? I don't know. You just got to figure it out. You know, if you really want to do it, that you'll find a way. Whether you know someone, where you pay someone, or whatever you got to do, man. Why do you do what you do with music? I mean, why spend all this time, all this energy? Why, why are you in music, man? I first started out, I just wanted to be a DJ. And then the music came along with it. And I really wasn't a natural musician. So it was weird for me. But I, I, I had a, you know, I could play guitar, I could play piano, I could play. Um, I was in band for a couple of years. I played saxophone. So I had like a bass um, you know, kind of musicality, I think. So when it came to actually learning how to make music, I wasn't like tone deaf and that definitely helped. <laughs> I actually enjoyed DJing so much that I start, initially was making music just so I could keep DJing. So I kind of got into it for not the wrong reasons, but I approached it differently than a lot of other people. A lot of people are like just producers in their room and then they have to go learn how to DJ to go tour. Like I remember seeing Alesso start touring and Alesso was a producer first. And I remember him start touring and then someone was like, yo, he just learned how to play in CDJs like last week. And then I saw him at some club in Miami and it was just like, everyone's like, yeah, he just learned how to like DJ or something. I was like, whoa, that's crazy. But um, I just think that um, at this point now, I understand that writing music, it, it, that's what leaves the lasting impact and that's what actually changes. Um, that's what actually resonates with people. And I think I enjoy just, just making whatever I want to make and just, I don't know how to describe it. So I kind of evolved from just learning how to make music just so I could keep DJing to, to now I, I'm more of a producer. You create music because you like, you like it to resonate with other people, right? Is that, is that kind of the core of what you do, what you do? Yeah, at the same time, I feel like I, what really drew me into it was making festival records that DJs were playing. Like I just absolutely started, I started doing it because I loved hearing my music play at the big festivals. Like I was, I really enjoyed like in the beginning of it, I was just like Tiesto, let's say Tiesto like played one of my records or something at ultra like 2012. And I'm like, this is dope. Like that's all I want. You know what I mean? Like, I just thought that was cool that all these people were dancing to some track I made. And I honestly thought that was as, you know, as big as it could have gotten. I really like to make from there, I kind of, my path, I just really like to make club records. So I, I had had so much experience in like top 40 at like normal clubs and bars and stuff that I had a good, I think I had a good sensibility for what was really going to work in the club. And that became my thing. Like I was making music to play at festivals and clubs only that was making people dance. And then I kind of think that's what I based my, started my whole career off of is just making like club records, festival records. And I just really, I just really enjoyed doing that. I don't know what it was. I was just like, I like watching these people dance to something I made in my room. <laughs> it's just, I thought it was cool. I mean, there's nothing really else to say about it, I think, than that. But um, but yeah, then that's kind of evolved. I think as I evolved as an artist now, it's more like, what do I actually like? Not what do all these people want to hear? It's like, now it's my turn, you know? I feel like before I was just making whatever was getting get played at the festivals and clubs, which you still could obviously innovate in your own way and do your own thing. But now it's like, hey, look, I think there's just such a different... Um, new world that's opened up now. And I think it has to do with just like, what do I want to make now? So what do you want to make now? Dude, I, I've loved reggae long before I've listened to dance music. And a lot of my new stuff is, is it's like, I have one record that's like actually like, like verse, chorus, like no drop, 
coming out like and it's just like felt this just feels right you know it's not i wouldn't even call it it's not even dance music but it's just like that's what i want to make because that's like i don't know i feel like that's um like what do i do on a normal bait a day you know i wake up i go surfing come back and work on music in the studio all night or whatever and it's like that's like an average day for me to a certain extent i'm not in the club all the time and i can't just make club music because that's not what my life actually is 24 7 and i felt like now it's time to make the other part of my make the music that fits the other part of my life which is before what i was doing before dance music and before what um and when i'm outside of the club and i think a lot of that comes off to a lot of fans as selling out trying to make radio records if that makes sense uh i think a lot of djs just hit hit the cap with what they what they can do with like the festival playable records and um I'm trying to explain this in an easy way. And this is like hard because I've never really talked about this. I think now I'm in a point where I enjoy both. You have two moods, you know, like sometimes you want to go out and go to the club and sometimes you just want to kick in and relax. And I feel like it's important as a producer to produce things that are all your actual moods, not just like, you know, just say you're this dark techno DJ and you only make this dark techno music. What's well, like, dude, I mean, if that's your life, okay, great. But I'm sure there's techno DJs that, go out and kick it on the beach and play, you know, play sports and relax in the car and go to yoga and do all these other things. And it's just like this dark, that, that one sided, that one sided channel of music can't possibly um, accurately depict someone's life from a full picture. I think, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm a surfer at heart. That's what I do. That's my favorite thing to do. So it's like, I go to the, I drive up, up and down the California coast, like looking for new spots, surfing new waves, my friends and stuff. And it's just like, at the end of the day, that's a big part of my life too. And I just was like, that wasn't being heard in my music of this other half of my life. And it's just like, now I'm working with all these um, reggae bands that I've looked up to for years now and stuff. And it's really, it's, it's kind of a, yeah. And some of these like dance hall singers and stuff. And it's just kind of a cool chapter for me going kind of going pre dance music. What was I doing before dance music and how can I bring this in to where it is now? But I still make club records. I still enjoy that. Like so one day I'll wake up in the studio, I'm writing bangers. And the next day I'm waking up, I'm writing some chill reggae song. And it's just like, I, I, I like the fact that it, I'm like, I'm accurately depicting all sides of my life right now through the music. Do you feel like you should put both of those songs underneath one umbrella, underneath one brand? Or do you get, are you going to make another brand for, for the other things? I think the, the why I just kept my name Henry Fong is just my real name. It's just, I'm just a person. So I just kind of... I didn't want to be hiding behind some some alias, I think. And I just wanted to be kind of just me, a normal dude, I guess. So I, I, I think that from a business standpoint, maybe it would be better to put it uh, you know, under some alias or something. And that's has a cool name that has a brand and stuff. But at the end of the day, like what you see is what it actually is. You know, it's just me. And this is all the different styles of music I make because I'm just a person and I have various emotions. And it's just like, that's what it is, man. That's that's kind of my approach the whole time. You know, I just wanted to be me. Like I, I didn't. I just I felt weird. I, I I felt weird having a moniker or an alias. So I just didn't even go down that route. My kind of final topic that I want to talk about, and then Leo. I know Leo has some some good questions that he's going to want to ask. But the final topic that I kind of want to talk about with you is, you know, you, you mentioned that you have a son. I have two kids and a wife. And so, you know, we're, we both have a family, but we both have other responsibilities that are more important than music. And so my first question with that is, how do you balance it, dude? Because it's, it is literally just a crap show every day. Yeah. I mean, I think I just put, I just really put in my time when I'm home. 
I think uh, when I come home from tour, you know, it's just time to help out. And I put in the time, I help out, do everything. And when I'm gone, I'm gone. So it's like, you know, when I'm home, it's like, you know, I'll probably leave here in 30 minutes to go pick them up from school. <laughs> Even when you're with your, your, your family, is there no crossover? Like any, you don't get any pings or dings on your phone and you're like, unfortunately, unfortunately I do. How do you separate that? Cause that is my it's biggest been hard, thing. man. It's a struggle to separate everything. And on the opposite side too, like when I'm, when I'm in the flow of doing work and stuff like that, it is so hard to be away from my family and not think about them. You know what I mean? It's all, it's like a vicious cycle. Yeah, it, it really is a vicious cycle. But I think the best part about all this is the balance. And I think that's why it's what's kept me um, going is that I have this balance of this fitness, like normal family life, relatively normal. <laughs> and then I have this touring DJ producer life. And I think without one or the other, you know, things wouldn't be working. And it works in harmony in a weird way because I'm... I get my fix from everything. Like imagine if you were just only a touring DJ and you didn't have a family, didn't have anything else. It's like, it's probably fun for a couple of years. And then all of a sudden you're going to start, maybe get a little lonely or you're on the road so much or whatever. So I get, I get this balance. Like I go on tour for so long and I just can't, I can't wait to get back and go hang out with my family and I hang out with my family for a month, have off tour. And then by the time I've done a bunch of stuff with them, it's like, okay, I'm ready to go back on tour now. And it's this weird, like perfect balance actually juggling the balance when I'm home is, is pretty difficult. And I, I don't think I've mastered it yet, but I, you know, I think I do a pretty good job. That is so good, dude. I've never, I've never put it in those words that you're talking about that like it, they are, they kind of equal each other out. They have to, one brings life to the other. You can't really have it's, one without it's the, the same other. thing where we're talking about before. It's like, imagine just making only one style of music for only one specific mood, but really in your, as a person, you have way more than one mood, but you're only putting you know, producing one type of thing. It's like, that'd be weird. Right. But imagine having these two sounds living in harmony. Like there's a lot of big producers that have two sides. They have a melodic side and then they have a hard side. Um, I'm trying to think of like a good example, like, like even, even take some of the biggest DJs, for example, take like chain smokers. It's like you go to a chain smokers show. It's like they have their radio songs that, that everyone can sing along. And then they're playing these like hard dubstep bangers. And it just kind of like for their live show, it just kind of like works in harmony for them. And I, and I think producers should have two, two sounds. Like you should know them for a, a more relaxed sound. And then you should know them for the, their hard sound too. And I think another guy that actually did a really good job with that in the past was someone like Tommy Trash. Tommy Trash had one of the biggest melodic EDM records of all time with Reload, but he had his grungy electro sound too. But you could you could hear that sound out of nowhere and be like, that's a Tommy Trash song, it, whether it was either mood. And I think that's really dope when producers can do that. I love to relate basically everything to Marvel movies. Like how you're saying, like the, these big artists, like they have these two sides, these two distinguishing factors. And, and you know, if we take Marvel movies for, for an example, they do, they have those two things. You know that it's going to be, you know, very superhero-ish, but you also know it's going to be funny. Like all of their movies are super funny, like super witty and stuff like that. Yeah, that's, see, that's cool. I mean, I do see why artists start start uh, different aliases because a lot of the hard, hardcore fans will like know you from one thing and they just, for some reason, they just want that one thing. Because if, the, if they're getting that one thing from you and whatever the other feelings they want, they're probably getting it from another artist. You know what I'm saying? So that, but I think that's really cool when artists are able to deliver um, two different feelings in a cohesive way, but that still sounds like them. And that's kind of what I'm on a mission to do, I think, at the moment. Mr. Leo. What's hey, up, dude? Yeah, so I did have a question here. Um, so one of the questions that I did have was, you know, I noticed that you do have some releases on Spinning, you know, Rebuild and Demand. 
can. I'm just curious to, to see about how different these labels are and how your experiences are with them. Yeah, they, I mean, they're they're all amazing labels, and I've worked closely with um, all of them for years now, and they're definitely different. I think mm -hmm. uh, like Spinnin's a really good like international worldwide audience. Dimac is worldwide too, but Dimac, I think, uh, for me living in California, it kind of just certain releases fit better there maybe than mm. certain ones for spinning. Okay. So I kind of take that into consideration too. So I, I, so I think different labels definitely reach better in different parts of the world and you kind of have to take that into consideration, I think. Well, I noticed you had a track with Hardwell. How was your experience working with him? Yeah, that was cool, man. I mean, that was the whole thing that happened was really random. A lot of people don't realize he was like a, a bubbling DJ and producer before. Bubbling is like uh, this weird subgenre they had in Holland and it's kind of like really sped up dance hall, I guess you could say. So they took all the, the drums from like a lot of the old dance hall songs, you know, that yeah. so they took that those like uh, the drums, the drums that you kind of know from like some of the Moombatone Latin stuff that all those drums are sampled from all these dance hall records. And in Holland, they had this genre where they were using all those drums and just like chucking them on top of like these dance records. So this like weird subgenre of got really popular in Holland, but it's very inspired by dance hall. And, and that's how Hardwell came up. So I, I was like making this dance hall song one day and I was just like, I'm gonna send this to Hardwell. I don't know. I just, I don't know how I thought about it because, because we've been talking for a while, just like, yo, yo, send me stuff, whatever, whatever. And then I was like, finally got something. I was like, Hey man, I know this is different, but what do you think about doing like a dance hall record? And, uh, yeah. So I sent it to him and cause I know he has a, um, an ear for that stuff because of his uh, from his bubbling beats in the past that he was doing in Holland before he was uh, doing dance music. Strategically sending demos to people. I like that. That's very... I do, yeah. Because I know he had the ear for it and I know he, he would understand it, you know? It's just like... So I sent it to him and he's like, yo, man, this is dope. And then um, he got... Um, me and another guy that I uh, write with all the time, this guy, Richie Loop, me and him wrote the original demo and then I sent stems to Hardwell and then Hardwell finished it and then got Mr. Vegas on it. And he like texted me, like, I don't know if you guys know who Mr. Vegas is, but he's like a kind of like yeah. tall, like legend. He had one of the, like the biggest dance hall songs of all time, basically yeah. one of them <laughs> with that tie. And um, he told me, he was like, yo, I got Mr. Vegas on it. I was like, yo, that's so dope. It just kind of happened, dude. And it was weird. And we put out the song and like, it doesn't really fit in a Hardwell set, you know, but he was like, <laughs> He was cool with that because he'd been a fan of Mr. Vegas. He loves dance hall from his past. And that was, I think that was cool for, for both of us to do work with Mr. Vegas. Cause we both listened to dance hall before, like every, like, you know, back in like the early two thousands, I think that record is like super hot record. That's and here awesome. we are, you know, we get to work with him. So that's cool. Thanks so much for coming through Leo and asking these questions, man. And, and really quick, we're coming to an end here. So, Hey man, I just want to say thank you so much for coming through. Leo, thank you for coming through as well. But uh, is there any final words for our listeners, man? Yeah, just keep at it, man. I mean, I, I think the most important thing with all these producers is like, dude, you just never know what's going to happen. And if you quit, like you're just, you really just have to, I don't know, how do I say it? Like you really just have to push past that point where you think it's like, it's not possible. I mean, I'm sure there's so many people that have just decided to, to just like bow out and quit because of one reason or another. And it's just like, if you don't keep going, then you're just never going to know. And I just felt like I just kept pushing through. And, you know, I, you know, I'm not going to say that my musical talent is amazing because I, I think they're way better producers than me. I just think I just push through. Donation, just keep going. The only time you fail is when you give up. If you mess up, it doesn't matter. That's not failure. But like, but like this advice is like, it's one of the most common things ever in the history, I think. But it's like, that's why it's so common because everyone that's been through it, they know. It's so common, but still no one follows up with it. Not no one, obviously people do, but 
Like you could, you could be an expert at anything. You just gotta put your time into it. Exactly. The potential of humanity is insane. You can learn and do anything you want as, as long as you actually put in the time to learn and to do it. So, all right. So my, my, my challenge, I'm going to start, I think I'm going to start jujitsu soon. So we're going to come back and hit me, hit me up next year and we'll see where I'm at after, if I start. <laughs> Hey, Daw Nation. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Behind the Daw with Henry Fong. If you are interested in the Patreon, giving suggestions for artists to come on the show, getting private lessons in electronic music or social media marketing, enter to win that free 20-minute social media marketing consultation, or any of the books that we talked about in this episode, there are links for those down in the description. Make sure to check out that. Also, again, make sure to like, comment, subscribe, repost, follow, you know, whatever is appropriate to the particular platform that you're listening on like iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, Deezer, anything like that. It just helps us know that what we're doing is moving in the direction that you need us to. Finally, I'd highly encourage you to check out the next episode of Behind the Daw. It was the episode that I talked about at the beginning of the podcast. It is a bonus episode with Henry Fong where we dissect his social media marketing plan. I give him tips and tricks. It's a free consultation for you to listen to. So go ahead, make sure to listen to that. And then I also encourage you to check out the last episode of Behind the Daw that we did with Wubix. That was a really great episode. He's a 15-year-old producer living in Romania who has a 100K following on YouTube. So please check that out. There's links in the description or you can just check it out on the playlist, whatever works out best. But Daw Nation, thank you so much for partaking of Behind the Daw today. You have a fantastic day, all right? We'll talk soon.